wow, we've finally done it. The most anticipated event of all time when it comes to podcasting. The most hyped podcast of all time. A podcast where two people who have no qualifications talk about books. We've done it. To a viewership of zero <laughs> or a listenership of zero. That's right. That's our projected um, stats. That's our projected stats. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, you want to explain what yes. we're doing because it was your idea? Okay. So, this is our book podcast. It is currently untitled because Ishmael Majid refuses to go along with my suggestion. Uh, so we can just add it later. Our podcast is called. Yeah, and we're just going to keep it that way. Yeah. Okay. So we're not going to add it in. We're going to start with some introductions. Um, my name is Tristan. Oh, am I supposed to go next? Yeah. <laughs> okay. My, my name's uh, Ishmael. And we are just a couple of readers, which is a rare breed in this day and age. Wow. We're 23, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Why do we're... they need to know how old we are? Well, just, you know, give some context. And uh, we know each other from middle school. Okay, yeah. We met know. in grade eight. Do they need to know that? <laughs> do, do they, in quotes, they need to know that? I well, mean. just in case they're alarmed at how rude, uh, rude we are to each other. What? Come on. Well, I mean. like, you know, sometimes podcasts start with people who have like a very respectful relationship of each other. Yeah, boring so. ones, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. And we're starting this pod because we just had the idea one day to do it. You did. I didn't. Yeah. Well, because... You're the only person I know that really reads that's young. So yeah, this is debatably. a good excuse to talk about books um, for real. And you're the only person who Not talking I could about books get to your to... imaginary friends like you usually do. Well, I guess so. Yeah, for okay. real. So, yeah, I think I that, don't know. that's you our know, intro. Also, right? there's just, you know, if there's one thing that the world needs more of in the year of our Lord, 2023... It's podcast. <laughs> so I think we're really doing quite a service out there to people. A public a public good, you might say. Yes. Yes. But uh, okay. Yeah. So since there's, well, there is actually kind of a, a dearth of book podcasts, I feel like. Or maybe I just there, have no yeah, idea what no. I'm talking about. But. I listened to one. That's what gave me this idea. And it's, it's probably a lot more intelligent and eloquent than Almost this one certainly. is going to be. But it was like mostly just about books and it wasn't very like it wasn't relaxed it wasn't that funny not that this is going to be funny but there's an element of comfort here that's like okay it's there's no pressure it doesn't actually have to be anything good yeah or smart that's yeah and it, yeah. Won't, and it won't be so yeah. that's good good to know okay so that's that's our intro yeah all right so uh we're talking about books each time so that means we must have a book we're planning on talking about today isn't that right yes and this book was selected not by me but by ishmael majid yeah so do i have to say it yep <laughs> book, give it a little intro a little overview the book little intro that we're talking about today is i think it's fair to say one of the more notable well-loved mystery books of all time you've pro you've read it if you're a book lover, if or you're if you're not lady, a book lover. <laughs> if you're an old lady, there's a good chance you've read this book. I think my mom's read it, so that's the test really right there. Yeah. Um, 
if yeah. you can find it in airports, drugstores. Yeah, drugstores. <laughs> yeah, very much. Dollarama, probably. <laughs> I don't know if they have books, but uh, if they do, you can find it there. The bo- of course, we're talking about Murder on the Orient Express by Agatha Christie, a classic mystery book, I think it's fair to say. One of the most well-known yeah, of prob- the genre. I mean, top three, right? You got to say, like, for Agatha Christie, it's got to be, like, Murder on the Orient Express, and then there were none, maybe Roger Ackroyd, Death on the Nile. Like, those are, like, her top... I've only heard of three of those, so... Three of the four, so there yeah, you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I think it's it's probably, like, it's in her top three or four most famous books. Yes. Yeah. And then the only other, uh, like, famous mystery novelists are, like, what? Arthur Conan Doyle, Chandler probably. something. <laughs> yeah, what is it, even, Raymond Chandler? I don't even care. Yeah, I that, can't that's bring it. myself to care. That's all of them. I mean, Agatha Christie, she's, you know, very possibly the most important mystery writer. Okay, so let's segue lived. this right into the author spotlight. Okay. So yeah, okay. Ishmael Majid has got this one because I actually forgot to look her up. I'm not quite sure if she's American or British. Um, so I'm about to do some learning right now. She could even theoretically be from a third country. <laughs> Is she? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. So are we going to, we're going to talk about her life. And well, stuff, I would actually be was? interested in what nationality she is because who she, it, was she as a seemed person? to have a lot of opinions about certain, uh, countries and people from certain countries in this, in this book. That book. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, um, Agatha Christie, I guess, despite the fact that the authored died and has been dead for several decades now death of the author reference uh i don't know theory fans what? <laughs> the death of the author it's the idea that you know you did they talk about that in english class no like, what is that you can interpret a book completely divorced from who the author was and just the text itself oh yeah but, but you know anyway we're going to talk about the author we anyway. want to learn something <laughs> So, yeah, so Agatha Christie was, in fact, British. Oh. Uh, uh, I guess Tristan didn't know that. Uh, yeah, she was... Um, it makes she, sense now because yeah, kind of Americans sense. were not portrayed in a flattering light in this book. No, although I think you can make the case that British For people weren't them. either portrayed <laughs> yeah. in a super flattering light. Only Belgians, really, um, yeah. were portrayed yep, in a good way. Yeah, pretty light. much. Italians? Nope. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Agatha Christie was, uh, you know, she was born in 1890, uh, in, in Torquay in Devonshire in England. And she grew up pretty well off. She was sort of upper middle class. And I think it's fair to say that if you think about the sort of the milieu of uh, Agatha Christie's books in general, they're very, very much sort of early 20th century upper middle class milieu like a lot of her mysteries take place in like a country home uh, and they always like often like will interview the servants i mean this book has something to do has that uh, element as well where it's like the servants of some rich people that uh, are largely uh, you know under under investigation for the for the for the murder um and yeah so she grew up pretty well off um you know originally she was like uh, she was interested in music. She almost became a pianist, apparently, a professional pianist, which is kind of interesting. She was homeschooled. Uh, that was pretty common back then for sort of rich girls. Uh, yeah, and she always loved reading uh, as a child. She loved reading. She was a fan, apparently, of, of Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes uh, as a child. So already, you know, there's a bit of setup for, for mysteries uh, going on there. Uh, and yeah, so she had sort of a typical... 
well-to-do British upbringing uh, for the for the early twentieth century. What does that mean? Servants. I assume she probably had servants. Yeah, probably. I think she went on holidays to France and stuff, and you know they were well off for 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 the time. Um, yeah, and then she was actually born Agatha Miller. Um, she uh, when she was what I think she was twenty three or twenty four or something. She married. Um, uh, a certain Archibald Christie, who was an army officer, uh, I think a pilot actually in the Royal Flying Corps. So very dashing, sort of quite a catch, I would say. Uh, and so she became Agatha Christie then. Uh, they were married, I think, in 1914 and then, or maybe 1913. But anyway, either either way, soon thereafter. Just in time for the war? Yes, exactly. <laughs> soon thereafter, Archie had to go off to war. And Agatha was during the war a VAD nurse, so essentially like a volunteer nurse. Uh, and she, you know, uh, she helped treat wounded soldiers uh, at, ho- at home in England. She met several uh, wounded Belgian soldiers, apparently, during her time in the war, and some other Belgian refugees who were sort of taking uh, refuge in England. And apparently this would uh, sort of serve as the basis of her most famous character, some of the Belgian soldiers and officers she met as a nurse, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, so she started writing pretty young. She, I think her first book was 1920. I think it was called The Mysterious Affair at Styles, or at least that was the first book that actually sold. That was, so she was like 30 years old. So she was a, yeah, she that's not that young. I guess that's actually not that <laughs> young. Old. It's older than us, I guess. <laughs> when did she die? Well, well, you know. We'll get to that. She was pretty old when she died in the 70s, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. She had a pretty long life. She kind of saw most of the 20th century, you could say. Um, yeah, and uh, and her first like successful book was the first one with Poirot in it. That was The Mysterious Affair at Styles in 1920. Are all her books featuring that guy? No, so she kind of has, she's got, Poirot is like the most famous. Um, he's obviously the, the main character of, of our book, Murder on the Orient Express. But she also has these books where like, it's this old lady who solves the crimes, Miss Marple. Oh, yeah. that's where Miss Marple that's came from. That's who that is. Yeah. Oh. She like solves crimes or whatever. I've never, I've never known. I haven't read any of those ones either. I don't know. Who wants to read about some old bag? <laughs> I mean, although she said, I think Agatha Christie said that she preferred Miss Marple <laughs> to Poirot. Maybe Miss Marple is more similar, like, uh, more of a self-insert. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah. I feel like that's fair. Um, but yeah. So actually, like, you know, from the 1920s on, she was really successful. Mysterious Fred Styles did well. She wrote several other Poirot books throughout the 1920s. Um, she had some kids with Archie, I guess. How That's many kids? Much. I don't remember. <laughs> at least at least a couple, one or two. Did any of them become writers? Oh, that's a good question. I have no idea. You're not I literally prepared. have no idea. Why would I know what her kids... <laughs> this isn't author's kids spotlight. I mean, come on. But, okay, okay. But there is at least one very dramatic incident. She kind of was like... Most of her life was pretty like, oh, you know, I'm I'm just this sort of, you know, rich British lady, you know, whatever, sort of boring. I mean, I guess being a VAD nurse is pretty exciting. What does VAD stand for? Uh, so I think it's for voluntary aid detachment. It's basically like a volunteer nurse. Oh, not okay. a, she ha- hadn't been a professional nurse before the war. Hmm. I think that's what that means. Um, yeah. Okay. So okay, but this is this is quite. This is quite <laughs> the, spicy. This is pretty spicy. This next part, I think it's fair to say. So, so 1926 was a pretty rough year for for Agatha uh, for a couple of reasons. This first part isn't spicy; it's just sort of sad. So her mom passed away, and then 
like very shortly afterwards, like, I don't know, a week or so afterwards, Archie said that he wanted oh, no. a, divorce, a divorce with her oh. because he was seeing another woman. Oh, scumbag. It's really disappointing. Was was divorce common back then? Like common enough that that wasn't No, scandalous? no, it wasn't common. It was a scandal. <laughs> it was very much a scandal. Oh. Archie doesn't come away looking super well in this story. <laughs> uh, so he was having an affair with this woman, I think Nancy Neal or something. Oh. And, uh, Who I was said, she? I don't know. Oh, I think she was someone. a friend of another officer in the army. Or, oh, okay. uh, no, not a friend. I think she was the wife of another. I, I don't know. Anyway, he, I think she knew, she knew, he knew her via some army friend of his. Uh, and yeah, so he he's basically like, yep, I'm sick of you, Agatha. <laughs> we have kids, whatever. I don't care. I'm going <laughs> to go marry some other woman. Let's get divorced. Um, and then apparently, like later on in December in 1926, after they'd had a bad fight, her and Archie, Agatha sort of just disappeared one night. Like oh. she was gone from her home. She just like said goodnight to the kids and then she was totally gone. And for like days, no one knew where she was. That like I think the police found her empty car, like out in the middle of the road somewhere. She was already a famous novelist. She was at already this point? a famous novelist, so this was actually a big story. Like famous writer of mystery stories goes missing. People were like the car was empty, so people were like, had, had she committed suicide? Had she, had Archie killed her? You know, there were so many conspiracy theories, <laughs> very briefly lived ones, but short-lived little conspiracy theories are what happened to Agatha. And then eventually, 10 days later, they found her in a hotel in a nearby town to where they lived. And she was just sort of being there, like, just sort of hanging out. And she had registered under the name of Mrs. Neal. Oh, that was the name of. So she's a bit passive aggressive. There. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not a bit. <laughs> that's very. I don't know. That's that's very passive aggressive. I don't know though. I mean, and it, and she never ever talked about this. She wrote an autobiography, and this whole incident, she didn't put it in her autobiography. Wait. So where'd you find this out? Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, it's public. It's not like a mystery. It's um. not. I don't. Well, it wasn't Wikipedia, but it was. Uh, I looked at a few sites, basically. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the depth of my research is extremely <laughs> Feel free to fact check. Yeah. No, this is this is this isn't like in dispute. This definitely happens. Oh, okay. This is not like but cuz like like I said, there were newspaper articles at the time about like how this famous writer had gone missing. So like this isn't a mystery like over whether it happened. It definitely happened. The mystery is like why why, why she did why that. Why did she Yeah, why would she do that actually? Like it sounds passive aggressive, but why would you actually do that? What what's her statement about she does she, this so she never mistress. made it, she never made any comment like I said like yeah. when she even when she wrote her autobiography like she didn't include this very famous episode in her life in it she almost never gave interviews apparently um and and in none, in none of them that she gave did she ever talk about this was she was she rich from her writing like she could support herself financially oh, through I, I think by this point she could yeah. Like I said, she probably inherited a fair bit of money from her parents. Uh, and I think by this point, she was rich from her books. Yeah, because they were selling really well. Hmm. So I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I mean. So she did well in her life. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well. Um, but yeah, it's it's a mystery why she did it. Did she sort of have like a bit of a mental breakdown or something people have suggested? Was it like a pointed jab at Archie? Like, I'm going to bring attention to you 
having this affair by checking into the hotel under the name of your mistress. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation, but I don't think it's I don't know. It's hard to know for sure mm-hmm. why she, why she did it in that very uh, unusual way. I yeah. guess. Or even what even was she doing? Was I mean, this like a midlife crisis thing? Was she like in her forties? Um, I think she was in her late thirties or something. So I mean, I kind of I don't know. My my suspicion is that it was just she was very distressed by the whole situation. Hmm. She maybe wasn't thinking super straight about it, and she maybe was impulsive. I don't know, but that doesn't really fit her character otherwise. But maybe. I mean, the fact that she never talked about it. She was just sort of of a generation where you kind of didn't talk about this stuff. So we'll never really know. Hmm. Anyway, that's probably the the most eventful thing that happened. Is that is that the end of her of her little uh, couple, bio? No, a couple more things bear bear mention. I think before we can move on. Um, so, I mean, before we move on, I mean, do you have any takes about the? <laughs> I, I the mean, hotel incident. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Like that sounds m- breakdowny to me. <laughs> it does I think that's a fair interpretation? I think. I think it. I think she comes off looking. You know, not. I don't think that ruins that any way. Like tarnishes her reputation for me. Even though people at the time are like, "Oh, you're just looking for attention." Give me oh, a break. really? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I don't think that though. I think she was a pretty sincere. Wasn't expression she just like of... a kind of reclusive, quiet? Um, you know. So it doesn't fit. Yeah. Like I think it was a sincere expression of emotional distress. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so so needless to say, she and Archie did get divorced, uh, and a couple of years later. Um, you know, she was a little broken up by the whole thing, but you know, by 1930 or so, she's back. She's back at it. She's you know taking holidays to Egypt and Baghdad, you know, as you could back then. Um, yeah, and she she in I think in 1930 or 1931 around there, uh, she took the Orient Express to visit Istanbul and Baghdad. Oh, so it's real. Yeah, yeah, it was. (laughs) It was a real railway line that took from Europe to the Middle East. Uh, and it was in Iraq that she met, she became friends with some archaeologists and especially good friends with one archaeologist, certain Max Malawin, who was uh, a guy who was like 17 years younger than her. And then they got married. Oh. So that's fun. She was the like Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, <laughs> no. How, how old was she at the time? Um, no, I think he was late 20s and she was like 40 or something. So okay. it's not that bad. Yeah. I just think it's funny. It's nothing that others have not done. I as just well. wanted to call her Lee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make that joke. You know what? Good for her. Good for Good her. Good for her. She still had it. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make that joke. Hey, everyone. It's Ishmael from the future here. I'm currently in the process of editing this episode, and unfortunately, I regret to inform you that I just there in the clip you just heard made an inaccurate statement regarding the difference in age between Agatha Christie and her second husband Max Malowin. I believe I claimed they were 17 years apart. This is not true. In reality, while Agatha Christie was born in September of 1890, Max Malowin was born in May of 1904, which means that Agatha was 13 and a half years older than her husband, rather than 17. I 
trust that the joke I made about her being akin to Leonardo DiCaprio is still accurate, and if I do say so myself, funny, but I am not in the business of purposely spreading misinformation, so I would not be able to live with myself if I did not take it upon myself to inform you, dear listeners, that the statement I made there was incorrect. Hopefully you will find it in your hearts to forgive me, and now let us continue with the show. <laughs> yeah, he was an archaeologist, um, and yeah, they got married, uh, I guess, shortly after they met, and she would spend a lot of the next sort of few years of, of their lives in the 1930s accompanying him to archaeological digs in the Middle East, in places like Egypt and Syria, you know, which a lot of her books would be set in places like that as well. Uh, yeah, so, and then besides that, I mean, I don't know, during the war, I think she worked in a in a pharmacy, the Second World War, I mean. She worked in a pharmacy and apparently was interested in learning about poisons oh. so she can incorporate them into her books. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and then she just kept writing. Did, she, she wrote She wrote Murder on the Orient Express then at the end of her kind of writing? No, she wrote Murder on the Orient Express in 1934, so shortly after marrying Max. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then she just kept writing. She got old. 1971, she was made a dame by the late oh. Queen Elizabeth II, and she died in Wait, Elizabeth II, the one who just died a few years ago? Yeah, no, no, I mean a few, year, a few months yeah. ago? Yeah. yeah, exactly, the one who just died last year. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yep, and um, yeah, and she died in 1976 at the age of 85, I think it was. Do you know anything about her personality? Was she considered, like, funny or... Like, her, her writing from this one book I've read is pretty humorous so was that her personality in real life do you know yeah i think she was considered uh she was considered like she was she wasn't very social she was a reclusive sort of person not not like jd salinger or anything but she didn't like to give interviews she didn't chase publicity really um she said something like i hate crowds i think she said something like i hate crowds i hate television i hate the movies <laughs> oh. what i like is gardening <laughs> writing <laughs> so she was sort of a very old fashioned person i think is fair to say um she's sort of an old fashioned like late 19th century early 20th century upper class british woman what did she look like what did she look like you don't even know no. i mean there's you is can she look is she attractive i mean most of the pictures of her are like you know, the classic image of her is like her in her 50s, 60s. Oh, okay. Um, I don't really know. I mean, you can look up a picture of her. I know. Well, I probably should have looked that up before we started. But at the same time, What are we going to do? Describe matter. her to in this audio <laughs> medium? Um, but yeah, I think she was considered like witty by okay. her friends, by people who knew her. And I think that comes through in her writing, like you said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think it's all, like she was incredibly spectacularly successful she wrote like 66 detective novels a handful of non-detective novels several plays uh her play the mousetrap i think it was the longest continuously running play ever It, it it opened in like 52 and it only took its first hiatus in 2020 because of the pandemic oh that's how long it was running for and you know, like so, and here's 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 an important. I think something that bears mentioning, right? You asked, like, how successful was she? I mean, Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Records says that Agatha Christie is the best-selling novelist of all time, hmm. and the second 
best-selling individual author of fiction, second only to Shakespeare. Oh, wow. That's how successful she was. I see. Well, that's unlike a lot of other people who then went on to have success posthumously. Yeah, no, it's true. And it was during her life. Like, yeah. she was successful during her life. Would would it be unfair to call her, like, that generation's James Patterson or something like that? Or was she, you know... Well, bigger a bit, than him. A bit, no, but in yeah. terms of success or in terms of, like, the quality, like, the reputation that her books had, was it considered a bit, you know... I don't know if smutty is the right word, but, like, kind of... I think it's not. Cheap. <laughs> but I think, I think you're right. No, I think she kind of was considered yeah like the 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 20s 30s 40s version of a james patterson or even a dan brown maybe i think she her reputation is better than dan brown's say but maybe james patterson isn't a bad comparison because i do think that her reputation is a sort of uh you know well done mysteries but ultimately fairly shallow uh and not super artistic not super artistically valuable works maybe she's considered sort of middle brow low brow i think it's fair to say well i'm glad she's our first book that we're talking about (laughs) you know i think that i don't know if that's entirely fair i i like i like agatha christie i'm a fan i'm a fan of her work i'm a fan of her as a person i i i'm a i'm a stan i stan agatha christie it's fair to say and also like there's something to be said about it's it's you know very entertaining and yeah it's, it it's doesn't so matter readable. how long ago it was written but it, it's it, it it's doesn't good. it doesn't feel like an old book at yeah, all like you can get through it pretty fast and it's enjoyable yeah no for sure so there there's that's agatha christie for you i mean like quite i think quite the person to start with she's she's like she's a giant in the literary world even if like i said she isn't considered a giant in the way of like a james joyce or you know some someone like that in that or like a tolstoy like she's not considered that much of a giant but she is she's a genuine very genuinely very important figure in in the world of literature i think even if i don't she's being unfairly maybe or maybe fairly i don't know <laughs> relegated to pop literature sort of uh yeah. yeah but i mean i wouldn't feel too bad for her because she's yeah. clearly very successful yeah she did the fine. most successful yeah apparently she did, she did just fine for herself in her life yeah it made a dame and super rich and all that yeah okay well um that was the author spotlight <laughs> quite interesting see she's pretty interesting yeah yeah i think i think, I think. that's why it's good to do the author spotlights because it's actually interesting just to see how people you know their lives contrasted with their work are you a fan you you like agatha christie now that you know her story i read and then there were none and i enjoyed it and this one i also enjoyed um yeah like like you said it's it's easy it's not super deep so it's not like it's my favorite book ever and like it changed my life but it's always a good time it's consistently you know written to a certain standard that's very quenchable quenchable <laughs> what does that even mean quenchable <laughs> what is this like a sunny d commercial you know, you now can, you can read you can read a bunch of them at once and yeah. it's like really easy and it, like not quite a beach read but like a plane yeah, ride read or like a, well, train. a train ride read very yeah. much so yeah. yeah are you a fan of her as a person now that you know a bit of her sure life? yeah sure. i i i uh you know <laughs> i don't really know much i mean that wasn't that wasn't i don't have a sense of who she was that much 
but she just seems like a normal your typical writer kind of introvert yeah. and wants to be left alone and yeah that's yeah. it yeah not liking movies, I think, was a really common <laughs> that thing was, for that writers. That was a mark off. At that, at that time. That was a mark off. <laughs> you're like an early 20th century writer. You have to like hate movies. Yeah. Well, the fact that she lived through two wars as well, it's like, oh, okay. She's, yeah. she's probably got a lot of material, which clearly she used. She'd been all over the world. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even say. She went. She visited Canada. She was... Uh, <laughs> oh, we're, we're Canadian, by the way. Yeah, it's very important to know. I guess why would we be talking? Why would I mention that otherwise? It's we're recording this on Canada Day, so I have to say oh, yeah. that. So I have to mention that she. I think when she was like, I think when she was still married to Archie, because he was in the army. Like there were like I don't know, there was like this British Empire exhibition, like a British Empire promo tour or something that they were doing. I don't really know how it works, but anyway, she was famous and Archie was in the army, so they're like, you want to go on this big Empire promo tour. And they're, one of the places they visited was Canada. So there you go. She visited Canada. She might have been sitting where we are sitting right now. <laughs> yes, in the Leaside area. Yeah, because Canada is a very small country. So it could be <laughs> she yeah. visited it. Well, she probably visited Toronto, right? Or like I Ottawa. Know. I have no idea about okay. the details. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. This might get cut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so shall we move on to... The book. The book itself. <laughs> the book itself. Murder on the Orient Express. This is um, the, the part book in which where someone we... is murdered. Oh, on oh, the right. we haven't Express. even described the book. <laughs> okay, so this is what happens on the book. On the book. Um, on the book. Oh my God, we're cutting this. <laughs> we're not okay, cutting. That's so that's staying in. Murder on the Orient Express. It is about. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Hercule Poirot. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Hercule Um, Yes. Uh, that guy is a Belgian detective. He's like her main, like we said before, he's sort of Agatha Christie's main character. Yes. And it, this is a book about him trying to solve a murder that takes place on the train, the Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> nice. In one car. Yeah, yep. that's true. It is one car. And it's, it's you know, got some aristocratic people sprinkled in there. Well, kind of people from all walks of life, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah, it's got like maids, chauffeurs, although I don't think we know that at the time. Oh, I think I just spoiled it. Well, um, you haven't, re don't <laughs> dig yourself out of this hole. You can. Okay, well. I think, I think um, so. I think it's fair to say that it's basically it's a bunch of tourists coming home from the middle east back to europe there's hungarians yeah russians one belgians to, one to two hungarians a depending. swede one swedish person an italian person some americans and two two british people three, i believe three, so and three there's british like a people. colonel air colonel arbuthnet one of Who the british, he? People. british okay yeah. Um, and so it's like this cast of colorful, funny characters from different countries, different walks of life, who've all been in the Middle East in Turkey or Syria for some reason. I think Poirot went to Syria, what, to, to like solve some other mystery we don't get privy to in the French army garrisoning yes, Syria? They, they say in the first chapter that he did something very significant for them for which he was praised a lot by the guy who was seeing him off at the train station. Yeah, he was a French However, army officer. Yeah. He said, "You have saved the honor of the French army. You have averted much bloodshed." So, he so clearly he, is a big there's, there's, a big player. <laughs> there's there's room for a prequel, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe maybe there was. Maybe this is, you know, this I don't know the, if there was a, a continuation prequel. of something else. There it could be. 
I actually don't know. Listeners, <laughs> write in <laughs> write and tell in. us if this was Let us know. If the story of what Poirot was doing in Syria was ever uh, clear. <laughs> and if not, I mean, Hollywood, I mean, come on. Yeah. You guys love making stupid prequels. We can learn why he's called Poirot, like how in Solo they go, <laughs> they, we've learned why Han Solo is called Han Solo. Do you really? Yeah, it's not just, anyway. What's the reason why? Because okay, he does everything up. on his own? <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's more stupid than that. Okay. But anyway. Okay, well, so, but um, it's, so, it was a, that was a terrible overview of the plot. No, okay, so they're, they're, terrible I, I'm going to give a better one. So okay. it's like, you know, so Paro's in Syria for this reason. He's going home to Belgium, or I think he lives in London, actually. So he's going home on the, the Orient Express. Uh, his friend, Monsieur Bouc, is, I think, the guy who owns the company that, that runs the train. Was he the wagon lit the wagon lit conductor yes is that him um no that was that was michelle wasn't it yes it was yeah. okay. so monsieur book owns the the railway or he's like the ceo of the company that or, anyway he's a big wig in, in this railway uh, company he's quite a loquacious fellow monsieur book yeah he's pretty funny i think he's a good character but him and Poir- he's belgian too and him and paro like go back way back to their days in belgium i guess yeah. And so Poirot's going home. There's like, you know, there's like a dozen or so other passengers on his railway car. Um, Like I said, from various countries, from all walks of life. And a lot of them are kind of colorful characters. This is a woman who keeps talking about her daughter. You know, she'll always bring her daughter into every conversation or whatever. And then there's like, you know, the sort of funny Italian guy who speaks broken English. Uh, Maybe we can get into that. (laughs) He does. I I have a quote. I have a quote. Christy literally like she writes phonetically broken English for foreign characters. This is my quote of this. The Italian character. uh, This is uh, one line that he has. That what I say a la de time. That yes. is uh, the phonetic spelling yeah. uh, was included in this book. That's, I mean, I guess that's maybe one of the critiques people have <laughs> of her nowadays is that, you know, sort of foreign characters get uh, often highly stereotyped in Agatha Christie oh, books. It's oh, I, I have another good quote for this. Um, the introduction of the Italian man was a big swarthy Italian yeah. was picking his teeth with gusto. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, <laughs> but I would say that she takes shots at all. She does. The, she is kind passengers. of she's kind of the South Park of her day. She kind of takes she's equal <laughs> opportunity. Offender. Agatha Christie, <laughs> the well-known South Park of yeah. her day, like the Family Guy or South Park, yeah, of her day. She kind of offends everyone, but yeah, uh, even, I mean, even her own country. Like I said, like the British characters don't come off super great in this book even princess dragon miroff dragomiroff okay let's maybe yeah okay oh uh, I was we're not getting say, into this yet i was just gonna say first that essentially the plot is oh yeah that oh yeah they're on their way home to europe and in yugoslavia a country that existed at that point so probably serbia today or maybe croatia um the train because of snow i think they say is sort of derailed not derailed but like forced to stop uh, because of heavy snowfall and while the train is stopped and all the cars are sort of sealed off from one another inside the railway car that Poirot and these other sort of interesting people are in uh, one of their number uh, sort of rich American guy supposedly called Ratchet is found dead and they have to figure out who is the one who killed Ratchet? It's almost so. Here, I'm gonna make a reading now. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, <laughs> you have it dog-eared. This is the most important. This is like one of the f- most sort of iconic lines. Oh, from, I know what it's from, gonna be. The, Does this involve? 
well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. One of the most iconic lines in the book, and it's like, so they've discovered a dead man in his bed, and so the train cars have been sealed off from each other, and the train is stopped. So they figure uh, it has to be someone with them who's the murderer. So then it seems, said Poirot slowly, as though we must look for our murderer in the Istanbul Calais coach. He turned to the doctor. That is what you were hinting, I think. The Greek nodded. <laughs> That's the doctor. At half an hour after midnight, we ran into the snowdrift. No one can have left the train since then. Monsieur Bouc said solemnly, the murderer is with us on the train now. Oh, well done. So that's the plot. He's basically then Poirot has to interview because he's a detective and he's like famous for solving like at this point, like a dozen cases. Okay, my question with this is, it's such a cliche now for there to be a murder on a train and you have to figure out who did it. Is this the story that created the cliche and, and established that trope for the rest of, you know, literature? I think it is. I think it maybe it's not the first story that ever had a murder on a train, but I think the first like high profile. I think when people imagine that as a cliche, they're thinking of this book. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's a, I think it's, and basically the rest of the book is just Paro interviews. Each chapter is like, he interviews this guy, he interviews this lady, yeah, he interviews I, this guy okay, over and over I again. I have to say. And he collects their the, evidence, basically. And then at the, uh, you know, at the end of the book, it turns out that essentially it's something that no one could have possibly guessed. You know, okay, there's going to be spoilers, just by the way, because if you're listening to this. If you want to read this book and you have it. <laughs> This is probably the place to stop. Trust me, no one's listening to this podcast At titled all. <laughs> Murder on the Orient Express unless they've read Murder on the Orient Express. No, maybe they're thinking. And maybe I, not even then. Maybe they're thinking I'm on the fence about whether to read it. Okay, let's, well, let's listen. I don't know who they. I don't know who they are. are was but... it worth it? Segments at the end, though. So skip to the end of this podcast if you want to know whether to whether we recommend it or not. Yeah. But now or we're about to commence it, spoilers. Pause it. Go read the whole book and then press play again. You can read it in a day. Yeah. If you have free time. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, then probably not. But uh, yes, it's well, not that long. I I have to say the um. The titles of the chapters were quite uninspired. That's my. That's a, one of my criticisms. Literally, all the test. The chapters are like the testimony of the this evidence person. of the, the evidence. wagon lit conductor, the evidence of the secretary, yeah. the evidence of the valet, the evidence of the Swedish lady, etc. Yeah. The evidence of the Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's then, all the. That's all the chapter. The names, the, yeah. the one that takes the cake for me is. Um, Further surprising revelations and not bad. certain suggestive points. Like, there's nothing more exciting to read than yeah. the chapter yeah. titled <laughs> Certain <laughs> Suggestive Points. Well, that's what it is. It's, that's what the story is all about. It's about certain suggestive points, certain uh, new pieces of information. It's a detective story. I, I don't mind that. I think it is funny that the evidence of is the chapter title of half the chapters. <laughs> I, I also, I like the chapter. Chapter six is A Woman. A woman, that's yeah. That's it. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Because of course, Michelle, the uh, the conductor, uh, the wagon lee conductor, is he's he's always going like, oh, I think a woman did it. <laughs> yeah, which will we later learn. Michelle maybe has ulterior motives for for saying that. Yes, but uh, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna spoil it now. Are we gonna? I, well, I think we can discuss. Discuss. We're going into the section called pet peeves we're going to this section <laughs> okay. okay so this is a part where we discuss all the things that were slightly annoying Can we not discuss what we liked first oh oh yeah okay <laughs> so i think because because i think for me at least i think i've got more positives than negatives okay let's just 
do it under the subject of loose discussion. Then I can fit my pet peeves in there. The you can, I'm, yeah. I'm reading off a, a sheet of the, of the schedule for this <laughs> podcast, but we're not. Yeah. Okay. This is being cut. Yeah, Continue. Definitely cut. So, what you like. So I, I overall, uh, I did like it. I think that, uh, I think that for what it is, it's this book, the murder on the Orient express is like a very well conceived and executed mystery i would agree with that yeah and like the idea of having it on an isolated railway car that's being stalled so that it has to be one of these whatever 12 or however many 15 people and and then having i you know the chapter titles notwithstanding being kind of funny (laughs) i think it's a good structure for a detective book to be you interview this person you interview that person because you know as a reader then you're able to cross-reference what the various suspects are saying it's also it's deceptively simple but it you know it skillfully acquaints you with like what 15 characters in a very short amount of time yeah like i remember all i i remember like the deal with all the characters pretty much like i remember miss uh uh debenham colonel arbuthnet um hardman uh <laughs> count and countess a- a- andreni the hungarian uh diplomat couple or maybe you know maybe at least one of them is hungarian but uh, princess dragomirov just dragomirov yeah like they're all they're all i think all the characters they're simple but they're memorable like you know even like the you know the british valet like he's memorable as like this wet blanket (laughs) wait who is who's that remember uh so is his name is his name mcqueen no that mcqueen's the other guy so ratchet the murdery um is he had this valet who is british who's like this stuck up old <laughs> wet blanket of a character okay. unfortunately i do not remember this guy He's, he slept in the same room as the italian guy and the italian guy is like he was reading all the time he wouldn't <laughs> talk with me yeah you know or the italian guy was it foscarelli was that his name yeah. something like that something Maybe. like that antonio something yeah so he was even he was memorable because of all the like <laughs> well, questionable jokes at his expense yes exactly <laughs> but uh but i think all the care even the swedish lady similar situation maybe some questionable uh jokes uh at her expense but like all the characters were memorable enough and like there's a lot of them like you said yeah. and even mr book he no he was, he was the most he was the biggest personality he was the breakout star and yeah he was the breakout star his bigoted views yes. were uh you know a highlight of the book yeah and uh he got a lot of page time he, did, he really he did got a lot. lot he was sort he, of we heard his opinion through the entire process he sort of takes the the place of like in the other paro books he's got that Watson? friend hastings oh who is like his Watson. Oh, okay. But in this book, it's... It's like this dumb oaf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hastings is a lot more of a Watson type where he's not an idiot, but he's sort of like... He's sort of like a regular guy, just a regular British guy. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, whereas Poirot is the flamboyant uh, detective. Um, But yeah, Hastings isn't in this one. Uh, If any Hastings fans out there... One, might be disappointed One of my One of my favorite lines was um, when... Hercule Perot yeah. said, "How you harp on this Italian?" To well, because <laughs> because Monsieur Book is always like he re- he always is saying like I think the Italian guy did it. He says he was, it maybe six or seven times. Like each time, to- like more than that, I think because like literally all <laughs> he goes, the time. Can we interview the Italian now? Yeah, he's Can always like the Italian I think now? that Italian guy did it because the guy was stabbed, and that's Do how not Italians, Italians kill people. Stab? <laughs> 
That's quite a line. We should we should get that line. We should read that line. I mean, I think you just isn't that exactly how he says it? Do not Italians use the knife? Isn't that what he says? No, it's do not all Italians stab. But then there's there's his. I think that Hercule Poirot's response is also equally iconic. Yeah. yeah, this is the kind of thing you could write in a in mainstream book in the 1930s. Yes. So this is this is the part that we're t- discussing. So. Um, so M. Book, Monsieur Book, Monsieur Book. I just want to say M because that's how it's spelled, and that's what th- it means. Though I'm getting to my pet peeve next, which involves the use of French in this book. Okay, <laughs> okay. So the question is: Do not Italian stab? And the detective responds, right. assuredly, especially in the heat of a quarrel. But this, this is a different kind of crime. I have the little idea, my friend, that this is a crime very carefully planned and staged. It is a far-sighted, long-headed crime. It is not, how shall I express it, a Latin crime. <laughs> it is a crime that shows traces of a cool, resourceful, deliberate brain. I think an Anglo-Saxon brain. <laughs> so... You don't get any better than that, really. Yeah, no, that's that's like I think the standout line. Yeah, that's right. It's a standout line. I mean, I get the Christie. Would she would she be canceled today? Anyway, um. yes, but probably yeah. But let's move on from that because she died forty years ago. Yes. So who cares? But uh, I think it makes the book better because it's hilarious. It's it is hilarious. In fact, there were many lines that were extremely funny. Faro's a very funny guy. He's like he's this larger than life goof. Yeah, I like I like him. I like how eccentric he is. Yeah. He's specifically, you know, trying to be this, you know, uh, European crazy. He's very. He's like he's like unorthodox a, man. He's like got a sense of himself. He's yeah, like this, as being dignified, they, but he comes across showed, as ridiculous. Also, like. I swear she wrote that he had a twinkle in his eye maybe like 12 times. <laughs> that's how that's how she gets across his that eyes he's twinkle thinking. humorously constantly. <laughs> Didn't she say he had like an egg-shaped head at one point? I don't know. I think she did anyway. It was did he have a mustache that was ever mentioned? He definitely mentioned? had a mustache. Okay. I don't know if she mentioned it but that guy definitely had oh, a mustache. Of course. I think she did mention it. I thought but... it was like an iconic feature that he had like this big mustache, but I might have just been thinking of no, the no, movie. No, no, he does. He does. He does. Okay. It's like, it's a thing. Like, also, there's no world in which that character would not have a mustache. Yes, I, I, like, I have right? to agree. Like, I have to agree. Belgian detective, like, of that era. Like, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, um, besides just like the, the plotting of it, I, I think that she juggled the. I think this is a great strength is like the mechanics of a mystery book. Like she juggled the various pieces of evidence and yes. the seemingly contradictory uh, piece of evidence really well. And basically the fact that from the evidence, if you take it at face value, we're sort of, we're sort of inching towards the, the spoiler, the conclusion here, <laughs> but without actually getting there, but sort of like the fact that if you actually just take everyone's evidence at face value, each suspect has an alibi for how they couldn't have done it. And oftentimes, they'll have another suspect vouch for them. Someone that's unexpected as well, that they yeah. wouldn't seemingly have a connection to. Therefore, yes. it's not someone who's like married to them and would have bias towards you know trying to protect them. Except in one instance where that is exactly <laughs> what <laughs> Except happens. Except for the one genuine instance where yes. that is the case. Where literally it is someone's husband who vouches for them. But... Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, we don't have to get into the whole, like, every detail because it's like, you no. know, we want to give them something to enjoy no. for themselves. And if you've read it already, then you know what we're yeah. talking about. It's it's also very comprehensive in terms of, like, it gives you a diagram of 
everyone's rooms. Oh yeah, rooms. A, ma- a map of the It gives you a map character. and it gives you a um it shows you the detective's notes on each character, right. each of their mm-hmm. alibis, each of their uh, suspective suspected motives. Yeah. Um so, you know, you'd have to be an idiot not to understand or follow this uh story and the thought process behind Okay, but do you characters. think Okay, but do you think did you were you like did how do you put it together? The no, ending? no, because I mean, you know either. why? This is one of my pet peeves. Um, it's quite it's out a of left troll field. ending. Uh, <laughs> they they set it up in a way that you could never possibly predict it because which... because all the testimony essentially were people lying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what irritated me about this book is when you read a mystery, you're supposed to be able to skillfully deduce who the murderer is with the evidence presented. But in this one, you don't even have the opportunity to do that unless you're thinking way outside the box it's also the kind of um shock value ending you can only do once she can never Mm. write another mystery that ends with everyone did it oh that's a spoiler (laughs) (laughs) there you go we finally put it out finally (laughs) we've given you lots of warning so i think i said stop listening like 10 minutes ago yes so uh yeah so the ending is the ending is that yes literally everyone in the car except (laughs) except for poirot Mr. Book and the Greek doctor. Yes. <laughs> uh, everyone except them, even Michelle, the conductor, every passenger and Michelle all work together to kill Mr. Ratchet, quote unquote. Right. Because they are all connected to the death of some Armstrong girl and okay. her child. Okay, I'll do. I'll, I'll handle it. So, <laughs> okay, you, so you take over from Mr. here. Mr. Ratchet, the murdery. <laughs> the murder victim yeah. the murdery makes it sound <laughs> <laughs> the man who was murdered um mr ratchet was not that was an alibi he was actually a an american gangster called mr cassetti um which makes me think of mr rossetti from you know from nintendo games i do not you know mr rossetti like the mole guy i think he's in animal crossing i don't know him anyway so that'll my, be cut that'll not be cut. <laughs> <laughs> so mr rossetti uh mr cassetti was a gangster in like new york or chicago new york new america york? let's new just york, say I think. let's say america and he was involved this cassetti guy in a famous case where uh this couple uh the the husband was a british army officer who had moved to america named armstrong and the the wife was uh, an actress, a famous no, uh, a daughter, the daughter, the daughter of, of a, famous a famous actress, actress. and they had a little baby uh, daughter, and the daughter was kidnapped and held for ransom because I guess they were pretty rich, uh, but and so they finally got the money together to pay the ransom, but it turns out that Cassetti had actually already killed their baby daughter which is very upsetting and it's a it's a reference funnily enough that's to a, a real world event. scummy thing to do and it's a reference to a real world event almost certainly so that's oh, what a little event? upsetting well maybe you could ask about that in the history <laughs> section <laughs> okay so it's not we, famous it's not famous enough that you would know it it's just it was it was definitely famous enough that your average reader at the time would, would be expected it. to, to know age. it yeah okay. mm-hmm. yeah um so uh, yeah, but anyway, so then Colonel Armstrong, I think, and so so the wife was so distraught that she died giving birth to their second child, wasn't it? Yeah, she was so upset. She died of grief whilst giving birth to their second child. She was pregnant at the time. 
You read this. I, uh, I do not re- recollect a, this. A confused face. But, um, you know, I'll Colonel take your Armstrong word for Armstrong killed himself because of how distraught he was of, of, over all this. Once more, I, I don't remember this, but and I believe it. their French maid, who was suspected of being involved in helping Cassetti she while she was innocent. She threw herself out a window. Well, she, yeah, she was yes. innocent, but she also committed suicide because of this. Okay, so... <laughs> the 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 link here is that okay so essentially paro has been interviewing all these guests who they're seemingly unconnected they no, they're disconnected all, all these different countries other. and have no idea who each other are but uh and but you know if if what everything everyone's saying is true it's literally impossible that anyone could have killed mr ratchet yes so paro essentially decides that these people are all lying and through a very clever series, I really like also the way that he sort of um, is able to come to the, this conclusion. Uh, like the way he, in the second half of the book, in the series of second interviews, is sort of able to get people to sort of indirectly reveal this. But everyone on the train car with Poirot, they were all people who were either family members, friends, or like servants, servants of Armstrong, the Armstrong couple. And they killed Cassetti because he got off because he was rich and he bribed the judge and he fled America to Europe. And they decided that couldn't stand. So they all banded together. And in a they conspiracy, they stabbed him once. They each stabbed him <laughs> once. So they'd all be complicit, except for the wife. The, uh, yeah. Ca- Countess. Quote unquote, can- and- Countess Andrini. Quote unquote. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, pretty much all of them stabbed him once save one person. And so they basically banded together to assume fake identities and collectively murder this guy who had killed their friends or employers. <laughs> that was that was the one thing that when it started to make sense, it was um when it was being revealed that every character had some connection to the Armstrong family, it was like, okay, this is too much of a coincidence to not be organized. Because well, it was, it was. No, I know, but <laughs> but they they were starting to kind of realize that all these people were connected. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle of the book, it was like, okay, is everyone connected through like coincidentally, everyone is connected on this train. That's to... sort of when you realized. Yeah. When, when who's the first person you learn? It's um, the first person you learn. The old lady, the, Dragomirov. Hide- the hideous one. Yeah. Princess Dragomirov, quote unquote. No, but that, but she really is Princess Dragomirov, actually, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she really is a, a Russian princess. Uh, she no, was... no, no, but she has a different. She has a Russian name that's like Natalia or something. That yes, was different. But, so the, they found the handkerchief with H, but the H wasn't actually an H. It was a Cyrillic N. Oh my god! And so it was hers, okay. right? Yes. Um, and yeah, so she. So it turns out she was what she was the godmother of of the actress who was the mother of is, oh is my that right? god i i or was she, or she was, was she... the godmother of someone <laughs> <laughs> you know cut. this part doesn't matter she because this isn't of analysis the... this is just summary at this point she's either the godmother of the actress who was the mom of the one who died or she was the godmother of armstrong's wife i think she was the mother of the godmother of armstrong's wife and a good friend of the actress i think but anyway okay. so, so it turns out, yeah, that everyone, Colonel Arbuthnot was a good friend of Colonel Armstrong's. They were both uh, army officers, British officers or whatever. And Miss um, Debenham was the governess for the kids. 
the Italian guy was the chauffeur. The, um, the, the Swedish Swede lady was a cook. Was a cook, yeah, uh, or a maid or whatever. I think maybe the German lady. No, the German lady was really the Russian princess's maid or whatever cook. But um, oh, what's her name again? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. She's probably the most forgettable <laughs> one. And then, and then there's an American private detective who it turns out was. And this is this one. This was one of my favorite ones. My favorite bits. My two favorite ones. My two favorite reveals are like the one where Poro like manages to sort of get the American guy to slip up because Poro's like, I think I, I think I have it. <laughs> okay, good because I can't find it. So the 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 American guy, uh, Hardman, who's like you know a private detective, but he's actually you know he's involved in the conspiracy. He was in love with the French maid who killed herself because she was a suspect uh, in the in the case. And Poirot is just talking with this guy, and he goes, "It is true that America is the country of progress." Uh, agreed, Poirot. There is much that I am, I admire about Americans. Only I am perhaps old-fashioned, but me, I find the American woman less charming than my own countrywomen. The French or Belgian girl, coquettish, charming. I think there is no one to touch her. Hardman oh turned away to peer up at the snow for a minute. Perhaps you're right, Mr. Poirot, he said, but I guess every nation likes its own girls best. But see, he got him. He got him to be so... To be emotional? he was in love with a French woman. And so Poirot going like, ah, my friend, uh, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> the French woman is the best. He got the American guy to be like, he's like sad, clearly. He's thinking about how he was in love with this French woman. And then later he's like, you see, you were so pensive when I said that. Yes, he <laughs> was like he turned to the snow when his eyes watered to pretend that yes, it was from right. the that's snow. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He's like, that's how I knew. Clearly, the only conclusion you can draw from this <laughs> is that you were in love with a French woman, and therefore you and she joined, died. Joined this conspiracy to murder the person who. <laughs> <laughs> yes, drew. of course. Yeah, I really like that though. It's very subtle. That's like that's the Poirot style. He even says something like. I'm not so big on like physical evidence, but I do the psychology of people. That's that's how I get them. Yes, yes. He he. I I have to admit, I had my moments of skepticism that he was a competent uh, detective uh, but, because he never he never really shared his thought process. That's right. He never does. Yeah. Like that's him. you just discover it at the end. Like you're you're like the other suspects. You're just yeah. kind of like, oh, what's you're going like on? you're basically Mr. Book. Yeah. Mr. Book yes. or, or Dr. Mi Constantine. Mr. Book <laughs> is the audience pretty yeah. much, or is the reader. Pretty yeah. much. He's the sort of the audience insert character. But something I did like about it was um, I like how she writes in omniscient third, which mm -hmm. is like, you know, we we hear we kind of know we jump from head to head and like get into the thoughts of each passing character even if it's very briefly so i enjoyed this one uh example which highlights it very well which was when dr constantine yeah. was thinking deeply about the case as were uh hercule and yes. m book yeah um after that oh shoot Oh, is it even there? Oh, no, okay, it's at 210. Okay, I have to go really find it. really good at doing it. these readings. <laughs> okay, so this is what it is. So he's he's thinking, he's thinking, and then it goes into him saying, when I get home, I must get hold of Demetrius Agon. He has been to America. He has all the modern ideas. I wonder what Zia is doing at this moment. If my wife ever finds out, his thoughts went on to entirely private matters. And then later... 
Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. When he's kind of jolted out of his thoughts, it says, lost in their reflections, both men started violently. <laughs> I have thought also, said M. Book, just a shade guilty, but I've arrived at no conclusion. Oh, we can skip that. And then, and then later, <laughs> and then later, the doctor says, I too have reflected with great earnestness, said the doctor unblushingly, recalling his thoughts from certain pornographic details. Um, we, that. did we need to hear that? No. I forgot about that. But... It's so much better for it. Yeah. It's now that we know that. that this doctor is a perv who's just thinking about uh, his mistress while he should his, be thinking well, about who the murderer is. He did say his wife. It's fair to say. <laughs> yes. He did say his wife. He's not like Archie, okay? Let's. <laughs> no, no. He said if my wife ever if finds out. If my wife out, ever finds out about this murder case. No, no. I wonder what Zia is doing at this moment if my wife ever well, finds out. Zia is out. his wife, isn't she? No, it's his oh, mistress. Dr. Constantine. He's, he's, oh, he's Dr. thinking Constantine. about his. He's thinking sexually about his mistress. I thought Zia. What I got when from I, that. I thought Zia. I thought he's like. Oh, but but why would he refer to them? As yeah, I wonder people? what Zia is doing at this moment. If my wife ever finds out, that Zia was his wife. His thoughts went on to entirely private matters. Uh, Doctor so, Constantine. Yeah, like shame on you. Yeah. But would we have known that about him if we hadn't gone into his head? Never. Less is a character. Now. I like how he says it unblushingly. Like he yeah. says it with so much confidence, even yeah. though he was thinking of the most unrelated yeah. thing. And then it's Monsieur yeah. Book who's guilty and because he was just sort defensive. of like probably, he was just kind of thinking probably his, thinking about his thoughts were just drifting off into space yeah <laughs> about he was just kind of like oh i don't know how italians stab people actually i think he was i think yeah, he was at that it point said <laughs> yes well kind of what does it say here i literally forgot about this whole part he's just he's just thinking about, it seems in fact he's thinking about italians he's yeah. saying it seems that the italian could not have done it a pity <laughs> That's great. He's, he really does harp on those Italians. That's the best <laughs> recurring bit throughout the whole book. It, it actually, it's got a lot of, um, it's got a lot of. Uh, it's got like, a lot of good bits. The he, Michelle saying it's a woman bit. Well, uh, that's you know, funny too. You know what? Maybe we should move on to name that Chad because this, I have a perfect segue for this. <laughs> okay, wait, I was going to say, yeah, we can always come back to. No, no, no. Okay. Else. Yeah. You go ahead. If you have no, I didn't, a lasting I, thought, I didn't really a have, parting thought. Um, no, so yeah, no more about the ending. I think that I, I actually am fine with the ending being. You said it was kind of like a troll, a troll ending because, yeah, you probably it's very it's almost impossible to put it together from the evidence of the first half. But I so, guess it depends on what your definition of a good detective mystery is. I was gonna say not only do I think it's really satisfying like the way Poirot gets people to reveal that they were like like the bit i said with the detective hardman and the way when he was asking the quote-unquote hungarian countess uh i think it was her no or was it someone else? he was asking someone about if they had a governess and at first she's like oh yeah she was english no wait uh actually she was scottish <laughs> and she was like really big and had red hair and he was like, ah, the fact that she hesitated and uh, and changed her story to make her physically very different from Miss Debenham, and mm. uh, changed it from English to Scottish, like to make it less like Miss Debenham. He's like, ah, he's she she's trying to make me think of someone very different from Miss Debenham. And of course, she Miss Debenham was the governess. There, there was also um, a part where he was saying to the Swede, like, oh, and um, you know, do all the ladies say that you're a good cook? And then yeah, she yeah, went, yeah. yes, in fact, they do. Yeah. And she was all proud of it playing before on, realizing playing oh. on like her vanity or whatever. You know. Yeah, yeah. And not like, that this, oh, well, not, not that Miss, to not that Miss Olson was that vain. She's pretty. Miss Olson's pretty. No, reasonable. she's. 
Yeah, she's a real one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out of everyone there, Miss Olsen's the realest. She's, I think. she's just a bit of a crybaby. I think she was like sobbing constantly, weeping. Because yeah, the baby she looked after was killed. Yeah. Oh, what is a, that what why? A, what a, what a crybaby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that the reason? <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh. Yeah. Wasn't she like the nurse or something? I think she was something. She was like yeah. the babysitter. Something to that effect. Yes. Yeah. But I think that not only did I find that satisfying, like the the very like subtle and like psychological personal ways he got people to subtly reveal yeah. themselves, and also from like a analysis level, I think that it's fair enough. You know, Agatha Christie wrote sixty six detective novels, so it's fair that she uses a few like gimmicky and 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 you know she established like the rules and conventions. It's true. So I guess if anyone. she established them, she it's it's her right to break to them. to break them more yeah. than others. To, she has that right. Yeah, to creatively break the rules. Yeah. Well, that... I guess there's it, it clearly resonated with people because this is the one that stuck in you know our yeah. minds for all these years one and the, is the most well-known story definitely definitely one yeah. of the top three like i said you know i now that i'm thinking about what you're saying it's true that this is not so much about evidence as the psychology of the characters and yep. kind of getting the characters to slip up and reveal their biases and it's not so much about the red kimono and this yeah. watch and you know the, yeah. the train being open uh, and unlocked at this time so. yeah all the little bits of evidence like they actually kind of end up being close to irrelevant yeah they're kind yeah. of all, all red of them. especially the yeah the watch and the kimono it's like yeah. oh yeah that's not even the red related. kimono is like a definite red herring that, um, that didn't even come back up i don't think they ever said who that was oh i think they said it was the countess's oh, because okay. she had some right. negligee that was similar okay. uh, fanciness right <laughs> yeah but like yeah the little details of like the what, train conductor button i guess that one is kind of established that he's in on it but like you're right it's it's not that what's important is the personalities of the characters yeah that, that's what sort of allows him to figure it out although i will say i'm seeing a bit of a trend because in and then there were none spoiler alert well okay don't the, spoil <laughs> there were none too. you haven't read it no i know but i'm just saying like okay okay not spoiler alert but i'm gonna allude to the ending it also it has a bit a of a similarly troll ending, troll ending. It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a troll ending it does. It has an ending that you couldn't really... You could never predict because you have to take the unless you, events um, of the novel at face value. If you take the events of the book at face value, yes, you would never predict the ending of that one. But, you, you know... You pretty much have visual evidence that the character <laughs> okay, right. is in a certain state and then it turns out they're is it not. a certain state? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's as about as close you could get <laughs> to, to, without actually literally spoiling it. I mean, maybe we'll do an episode on it and then there were none. Because yeah. that's a good one, too. We could, but I mean, we've already talked about Agatha Christie's life, so. Yeah, we I mean, should... I'd have to find some other facts yeah, about to... her. <laughs> Finally, look. Do a deep dive into Archie. And into Archie, <laughs> find out how many kids she had and what they did. Yeah. <laughs> the boring stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. So I'm I'm ready to move on to name that Chad. You were, weren't you going to talk about how you had a pet peeve about French? <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, I did. Okay, so I have a few pet peeves, but I've I've said them already. One of them was that it was a troll ending, but I've, coming around I've come around to that. Yeah, I think I think you're right that she she's she reserves the right to, you know, use that card now since she established the rules for so long, she gets to break them. Mm -hmm. Um my pet peeve was there was so much French in this book. There was so much French. And I have 
no like it was never translated so you just have to have most of the time it was a rudimentary understanding of french to really get the most of this book well i would it's say not that accessible to english-speaking readers unless you're like highly educated i'd say like what maybe maybe 10 percent <laughs> of the dialogue is in french maybe probably less than 10 percent. Yeah, but like you know five percent and and but you know the conceit of the book is like eight, 70 to 80 percent of the dialogue is in french within the the conceit of the book like oh, presumably really? it says like oh she responded in french they they do that uh, like when he interviews the hungarians the italian guy and, and every time he talks to monsieur book they're both belgian so presumably they speak french to each other oh okay he probably only speaks english at the level of the text like if this was really happening, I think he would only speak English to the British and American characters. And then at the end, he's like, I'll speak in English since everyone understands it. Oh, okay. Okay. So well, really, that's she's, true. the conceit is, <laughs> and if you think about it, why wouldn't he? Because like, you know, well, he's I know, a French speaker. I know speaker. that he, he can. It's just, you know, I want to know what he's saying. So you could just assume 90 percent the whole time. 90% of the, of the dialogue that would be French is written in English. <laughs> okay, well then, can you just tell me what this means? Tout de meme, like meme. All the same. Oh, all the same. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Ah, quel animal. Oh my God. What does that mean? What an animal. Oh. <laughs> Quel animal. That's it, eh? Tout de meme. Okay, and um, okay, let's not living on his rentes, R-E-N-T-E-S. What's that? I think, I think that, what's the context there? Since he has been a gentleman of leisure traveling abroad and living on his... So he's a landlord and lives uh, on, on rent. On the rent he receives. That's the count he's talking about? Um, Cassetti. That's Cassetti, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, but let's not make this the rest okay. of the Okay, well, you know what? Maybe I'm coming around to that too, considering he is Belgian. Yeah, like, they sh if they were to make a new movie, I mean, there's been a lot of film adaptations. There's one with Kenneth Branagh just recently, wasn't there? I know, yeah. My grandma was watching that. Oh, yeah. She loved it. Yeah, she, <laughs> I think my mom really liked there, it, too. There's a part where he went, I am Hercule Poirot, and I'm the greatest detective in the world. Oh my God. And I was like, is this really in the book? And I was I happy to know it was not. not. <laughs> Can you imagine if you just said that? Oh, my God. That's terrible. But I guess, you know. If you were to make a version now, you would. I would be fun to have like most of the dialogue be in French. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. Why would that be fun? Because it's like... If you're a French speaker, it'd be fun. It immerses... Well, there could be subtitles, but it immerses you in how it would have been. Probably. You know what? I guess it's true, but... It's it's a Belgian yeah. railway company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh, everything. yeah. Okay, so Michelle's we... a French we speaker. Missed, we missed the historical context corner okay. where I was going to ask you a few questions. Should we do that after Name That Chad? No, no, no. We should before, do it now. Before. Okay, so one of my questions is... Um, actually... What is a suka thing? What? what? <laughs> What's that question? What is a um, puka sahib? Oh, puka sahib. <laughs> What's a puka sahib? <laughs> why, why were you like scared when I said that? I had no idea what you were saying. <laughs> I literally had no idea what you were saying at first. Okay, so. A, yeah, a puka sahib. So there's, so there's a character, Colonel Arbuthnot. He's a British colonel. And. He's, you know, uh, as you know, this book was written and takes place in the 30s. So he was spending a lot of time in India uh, because, you know, it was the time when the British ruled India. And uh, the sort of British officer who spends time in India, uh, as really happened, they sort of picked up certain Indian terms that became commonly known amongst soldiers stationed there. Um, was this character meant to actually be Indian? No, no, he's not. He's British, but... At that point, that was British rule in India. 
Uh, so he was an army colonel, and so a lot of armed British soldiers would be stationed in India at that point. I think they say he's coming home from India, right? He went to India, then to Baghdad, and now he's going home. Anyway, that's not important. But uh, the point is, um, what was it? At one point, so him and Miss Debenham, the other British character, the British lady, uh, they're sort of, I guess they're romantically involved, it turns out. Um, And, you know, the colonel is trying his best to sort of influence Poirot to sort of not look at Miss Debenham as a suspect. Uh, you know, because he's the colonel, you know, <laughs> say what you will about him. But I think he's a pretty decent guy besides the murder. No, I like him. Besides the murder. I like, I like that guy. He, that yeah. guy, he, uh, Hercule Perot seemed to have a high opinion of that he guy. Did, I think so, yeah. Because, you he know, he considered he's... him like a dour Englishman who yeah. was like really not flashy in any way or attention seeking. Yeah, he's honest. Very and, dignified. And, you know, he's genuinely trying to maybe help the woman he's uh, courting or whatever. So he says, and he says to Poru, he's like, uh, Miss Devonham wouldn't be involved in a crime like this. She's a Pakasab, right? Uh, and Pakasab was like, uh, you know, it comes from like a Indian term. Saab is like, I don't know, it's like sir or something equivalent, roughly. Saab. Um, you would, yeah, so you'd call someone you respect Saab. Uh, What's pa- a Paka? Paka is like, Pakasab is like, it's like really like a really uh really really great guy <laughs> oh really so like a mensch yeah but but also like more than that it's like someone you respect okay but like someone higher up than you socially but also who is like worthy of a lot of respect maybe like it's maybe similar to when uh mr book says of princess dragomirov like and it's in grand dame she's a grand dame like a great lady you know oh okay she's like someone worth respect but yeah, but it's an Indian term, and in in the sort of way the British would use it, it's like Pakasab is like a decent person worthy of respect. Okay. And then Monsieur Book's like, "What does that mean, Pakasab?" Because he's just not British, so he doesn't know. And and Poirot's like, "It means that Miss Debenham's father went to the same kind of school as Colonel Arbuthnot went to, <laughs> meaning they went to like uh, what the British would call public school, which is private school." <laughs> I, I don't I still don't understand that joke. It's too many layers of complexity. It is. It's it's very much a joke of the time that like a middle class British reader at the time would get immediately, but it's kind of removed. Yeah. There's, there's no British Empire in India anymore. There's no like, you know, the sort of yeah, the context is completely gone. Okay. So only someone like you would be able to really Weirdos, pick yes. up on that. But also Pakasab is like, yeah, people use it in India still, but uh yeah. Okay, but the so br- like sort of British em- the British Empire meaning is 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 kind of gone. Okay, yeah. Okay, so well, that brings me to my final question. Uh, there's only two. Is, <laughs> yeah, there's well, there are more, but you answered them um, oh, inadvertently. Organically. Nice. Yeah. Um, one of them was M is Monsieur. <laughs> That's not even a historical context. <laughs> no, That's still it's the just case in French. Sure. M period means Monsieur. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, well, it's interesting to say, like, we could talk a little bit about, like, how of the time would oh. you say the book is? Okay, okay. Th- this is my question. This is going to lead into it well. Okay. What was happening on the world stage What's at this time? What's happening on the world stage? <laughs> Politically slash historically. Describe the world. Yeah. <laughs> so because it, I don't even know what year this is set in. I think it, So I think it came out in 1934, and it was meant to be roughly contemporary. I think 34, maybe 33. 30s 30s for sure oh okay um and it was meant to be contemporary um, oh set like 
at that point contemporarily. But um, thank you for the definition. Yeah, what I mean is that <laughs> it was meant to take place at the time it was written. But um, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I like was, well, like what was happening? All the countries, you know, the tension between the U.S. and or or like the suspicion of Italians, you know, what was influencing <laughs> all of the dynamics uh, between all the characters from different countries? Well, I think the Italian thing is just sort of stereotype. Okay, of like that that one's just like mafia, a fun, like some fun like racism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's just sort of a stereotype, but. I mean, in the 30s, I mean, the two... They were, like, ramping up for the war. Yeah, the two important things are, like, the Great Depression and the fact that the Second World War was kind of brewing. You had Japan expanding. You had Germany. The Nazis came to power, I think, 33. So that would be the year before this book came out. Although, there is a German character, but she's not that important. So they don't really get into that. I think they referenced Stalin, don't they? At they, one point. they did. Yeah. They did. And he says, oh, we talked about Stalin's five-year plan. So he was around. Is this in a <laughs> negative connotation that it was referenced? They didn't really get into it. <laughs> I think one of them was was positive. One of them was negative or something. I think it was the colonel who says, he seems to have a high opinion of it. And I don't. Oh, okay. I think that's it. But, but yeah, he was definitely around. He had the sort of Soviets... Yeah, uh, Mussolini in Italy, the Great Depression. Was, oh, and, was happening at the time? Yeah, it was happening at the time. Uh, but yeah, and it's sort of like the Agatha Christie books sort of conjure up this sort of early 20th century interwar period, 20s, 30s, is sort of what at least, you know, I think most people think of when they think of Agatha Christie books. They think of that time period hmm. sort of. Yeah, for like, if you picture what what does the scene look like, you know, it's like people dressed in 20s or 30s clothes. I think they describe like the fashion of like the Count and Countess and they're like, it's like 30s. Like she has like, she has like the long cigarette holder. I think she says uh, the Countess has like one of those long cigarette holders uh, and like the dress that she describes very 30s and like he's wearing like a tweed suit or whatever. So like the aesthetic is very much of the time. But I, I was a bit surprised at how the uh, the hideous rich lady w- was like quite a powerful character. Oh and yeah, had her yeah. own sense of independence and had her own mind. And Princess Dragomira. Yeah. Well, and there's she was, like you yeah, know, quite bitchy to everyone, but in like a badass way. You know, she was one of the more memorable characters. Yeah, like what what were Agatha Christie's? Was she political or? Like, did she care to? She, did she care about that kind of thing? She certainly didn't talk about politics, and there's not a lot of explicit politics. There's almost none in the book. Like they mm-hmm. mention Stalin, they briefly, but, but yeah, like you know, they mention maybe the Great Depression, but there's very little politics in in these books. None explicitly, pretty much. The only pol like you can read any book politically. Like you can say that Agatha Christie was a person who essentially wrote books like largely about and for people of like the upper classes hmm. but she was extremely popular so it's not yeah. like she you know and she wasn't writing like with the agenda to no pr- like promote certain ideas or no really not i don't think there's there's much there's very little in the way of like a agenda okay i was gonna say though that like princess dragon mirav like the thing about the book is it feels both very of the time and also kind of timeless yeah in that so on the surface it's very of its time like there are characters who are like types 
that don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Like Colonel Arbuthnot, like they're, you know, the British officer in India, like that doesn't exist anymore. Or Princess Dragomirov, she's like a white Russian noble emigre. Like, again, this is a very much a, a sort of people you would meet then. Or, or the behavior, like the fainting. Fainting, and Using yeah. a handkerchief. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And even the idea of, like, the railway that takes you from London to Baghdad. Like, you wouldn't do that today. Like, it's very of its time. But also, I feel like it's all on the level of the aesthetics. Like, you could do a version of this. Oh, there, there's people who set. fit those personalities perfectly yeah. in this day and age. You'd only have to change, like, a couple things. Yeah. And, and it would... And it, you could definitely do one set today yeah. as well. Yeah. Like you a could. version of this. I think there is a version of it called Murder Mystery with Adam Sandler and Jennifer oh. Aniston. <laughs> is it is it based on this? Not really, but no. I mean, it's it's pretty similar. It's based on like detective. The conceit is very similar, except for the detective thing. They're like amateur detectives, but okay. other but than like that. It's like on a train. Yeah, or like a knives out scenario, you know. Right. It's kind of similar. That, but yeah. Oh, no, you haven't <laughs> seen it? Okay. But I, I think I... I, I take it that it's kind of inspired by yeah. sort of Agatha Christie-esque mysteries yeah but but yeah I mean I, I I like that element of it that it's the sort of window dressing is very of its time which is fun at least for me I think it's fun uh but it also isn't so like it's not talking it's not like for whom the bell tolls say <laughs> <laughs> where it's very much all about what's going on in the world yeah. at that time yeah okay which I bring up because I know you've read it and it's probably what it's like a few years later than this is it really yeah similar within um within 10 years i'm I'm pretty sure i need to reread that i need to reread it maybe that'll be an episode with, yeah <laughs> maybe it should be one of our next if ones. there's a second episode <laughs> <laughs> i think this is going well it's going better than i thought actually there is a conversation to be had <laughs> Definitely. I, yeah i thought know. i forgot i thought i forgot the book but yeah, once you talk about it you yeah once remember, you talk right? about it you remember Okay, so that's basically, yeah, in terms of the historical context, I don't think it's that important to the book. Okay, well, that's that's good to, to know. Um, for our Middlemarch uh, episode, if it happens, <laughs> yeah. it's going to, the historical context corner is going to be like the whole episode, sadly. So Yeah, I think that's a book that's maybe more, yeah, yeah. more tied we to. We might have to put it in two episodes, that one book, because, yeah. If you ever do War and Peace, that'll be oh the Oh my whole, God, yeah. yeah. Actually, we should do Anna Karenina at some point, because I read that last year. That'd and, be easier. Yeah. Still, I think, and and uh, yeah, less than War and Peace in terms of the historical context, but right, but there's still some, that yeah, maybe, yeah, I'm sure there's stuff with like feudal something and land owners and yeah, that okay, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the amount that I absorbed from reading it. <laughs> Princess Dragomirov is essentially of someone who is like a descendant of an Anna Karenina type oh, or a okay. Vronsky type. I see. Okay. Maybe not because Vronsky wasn't anyway, but yeah. yeah. But she's like she was like a noble woman from Russia who had to leave when the Soviets took over, when the, the Bolsheviks took over. Okay. So well, like again, it's like there are these characters who don't really exist anymore. Even the like Cassetti like classic gangster doesn't yeah. really exist. Well he was the least maybe. he was like the least universal personality because it's like I that doesn't maybe, exist. He, maybe he's he Tony like, Soprano. Oh, he he's could be, like but the, he's not funny. The Tony Soprano of his day, but yeah, yeah but not as funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, we're gonna move on to the name that Chad section, the most highly anticipated section this is, of the pod. This is yeah. This is where it gets really analytical. You might as well skip right to here. Extremely from the uh, intelligent analysis going on here. 
Yeah. Okay. Would so, you like to start? Do you want to just say what we're doing first? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You explain the segment. <laughs> Me? I explain? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So. Take a stab. Like they did in the book Murder <laughs> on the Orient Express. Like how everyone stabbed Cassetti. That's, okay. So, that's staying in. So uh, <laughs> we decided that for every book we do, we have to pick. Each one of us has to separately and independently pick the character we consider to be the biggest Chad, the most Chad-like character in the book. The Chadliest character. If you, yeah, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't discuss who we picked. So yeah, we don't we don't tell each other who we pick so that we can see if we pick the same person, and if not, we can battle it out. This is really important, I think, especially for... <laughs> Especially this is for, really important there, <laughs> for this day and age. There are a few characters. There are a few candidates. I know. Actually, but the, not a lot. the person that we um we kind of agreed was the Chad you, in the in you've the changed your mind. Yeah, I think we and, both I think we've also changed, changed our my minds. Mind. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll this, start by saying yeah. that that we agreed at first that <laughs> this whole segment came about because you said to me that you thought Count Andrenyi, yeah. the Hungarian diplomat, was the biggest Chad in the book. That's right. But and which makes sense. Which which we agreed on at the time. It, isn't his opening line says like he's super handsome and fashionable? Yeah, he's handsome, fashionable. Yeah. His wife is hot. Yeah, and he does he's everything for his wife. Yeah, and he's a good guy. On yeah, top he's of that. he's a good guy. He's noble. And Literally. he protected her from murder. Yeah. He murdered so she didn't have to. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, the one person who didn't mm-hmm. actually literally stab him was his wife, who was really the sister of the Colonel Armstrong's wife. Yes. Okay. Something like that. Anyway, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's how the Count, because the Count is actually the only one who doesn't have a direct connection. No, no. I think it was his no, daughter. It... His daughter was the maid who killed herself. No. No? No, the maid who killed herself was French, and the d- Hardman was in love with her. <laughs> oh. The Count is Hungarian, and it's just through his wife. It's just through his wife that he's involved. Oh, okay. Because his wife was the sister of the mother, I believe. Oh, anyway. okay. Okay. Anyway, anyway let's not, that's not important. So we, we thought it was him, and he is, in a lot of ways, the most obvious choice. Yes. Uh, like I said, he's handsome, he's rich, he's stylish, he has a hot wife. And he, you know, is noble. And he's actually a good guy. Yeah, he's one, exactly. You know, whereas... And he came out on top because of it. Well, not really. Well, <laughs> well, kind of, because the, the, I think they agree to let them go yeah, at the end. Yeah, exactly. So he kind of, he does get away with it. Yeah. He literally gets away with murder. Um, But I think, so we've changed, we've both changed. I, I've changed my mind, yes. certainly. Yes. Okay, so... Who wants to you want, who wants to go first? Okay, you? I have two picks, so I can two? give I can give one. I couldn't decide. I only so, have one, so I'll give mine first. Okay, you give yours first because there's maybe a higher chance they'll overlap. I mean, I I I don't just don't think it could be anyone else. Oh my god! Okay, I have to hear this. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, the biggest chat in this book is is Poirot. Oh, I, yep, that's what I said too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's what I said too. Of course, right? I mean, who else? It could was it just be? staring me in the face, and I didn't realize it at the time. He's not an obvious Chad. He doesn't look like the Chad <laughs> meme, let's say. But he did such a good job. And at the end, when he's like, <laughs> really, what sealed the deal for me was was at the very end, when uh, when they go. I'll, I'll just go to it. When basically they they you know he tells them. It's like there's two possibilities. One is someone snuck onto the train, right, and did all this stuff. Or the other possibility, which is the true one, is that everyone killed uh, Cassetti. 
And then Mr. Book and what Dr. Constantine are like, uh, that's too crazy. We can't tell the Yugoslavian police that. And also, I think they might have been influenced by the fact that Cassetti was so hateful that they were kind of willing to let it slide. But the thing that really sealed the deal for Poirot being a Chad is what Poirot says after they agree to essentially let these 12 murderers get away with it. He says, Then, said Poirot, having placed my solution before you, I have the honor to retire from the case. Oh, so, so literally the last line the last of line the of novel the whole book. I think it's great. turned your mind. Because he, he's like, well, it really convinced me fully because he's like, he's so dedicated to his cause of like being this detective. He's like, you know, I've done my, my job. <laughs> what you do now is it's up, up to, to you. you. Yeah, I think that's a very Chad-like attitude. Okay. And he and he's just so good at it. Yeah. He basically had an impossible case. Yeah, okay. And he solved it. So I, th- yeah. I think Poirot's the biggest Chad. Yeah, I, I agree with you um, for, you know, kind of similar reasons that I don't think you said, but that are along the thinking of this. Um, he kind of solved the entire mystery, the yeah. entire murder with good humor. You know? That's true. He was never freaking out. He's he was never irritable. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He had like this sense of humor throughout, which that's the highest. Uh, that's the best quality in a detective to have a sense <laughs> of humor when they're yeah. dealing with dead people. It's true. And um, actually, the line that settled it for me. <laughs> you have a line as well. <laughs> yeah. Was kind of the opposite of yours. It's one of the first things he said. Uh-uh. And it was when Ratchet comes up to him and asks him to protect him. Oh, yeah, this is this good. <laughs> and Hercule Perot replies, um, no. And so Ratchet demands, what's wrong with my proposition? And he replies, if you will forgive me for being personal, I do not like your face, Monsieur Ratchet. <laughs> That's that good. just sealed. That was That's the nail true. in the coffin that for is, me. I was like, the most he's Chad. the Chad. That is the most he is Chad, the Chad like, line in the whole book. And because he didn't protect him, yeah. he died that night. Yeah, There's literally. nothing more Chadly than that. Yeah, literally, Ratchet was like, "Hey, I think someone's going to try and kill me. You're a detective. Can you maybe save me?" And he's like, "No, I think you're ugly, or I think you look." evil essentially is what he was saying yeah Yeah. you know and that was another stroke of brilliance was the guy who looks evil was evil that was just great i thought maybe he was going to be like a suspect yeah me too was the one who was exactly it was like oh that guy looks like a wild animal that guy looks evil that guy is awful i was thinking to myself like what it's going to be is they're going to think it's him but it's not really he's going to be like heart of gold but he's actually yeah yeah he just he just is evil he looked evil and and they all had the instincts that he was awful and then he was yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's true that yeah that because i don't like your face (laughs) that subversion (laughs) is like the best line in the whole book yeah exactly that was like i was like oh my god and he really does get killed right after (laughs) yeah i know that night a few hours later he dies you made i think you made even the better case for poirot being the chat yeah yeah we agree okay well we do agree you have a second person i do have a second person and it is i think you already know but it's Princess Dragomira. Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good pick. Yeah, because she's ugly, old, <laughs> but she's rich and does not give a fuck. Like yes. she is a that badass. There's going to be an E next to the title. <laughs> what for, ex- for explicit? Uh- <laughs> we'll edit that out. We'll beep it. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll beep it because children are going to love to listen to this podcast. Yeah, not only is there going to be a lot of listeners, but they're going to be children. <laughs> the children are yeah. dying to know our opinions on our eighty-year-old, the book. anonymous opinions of uh, people on people. this book. Yeah. Um. So, uh, let me just go to. She's oh, she's definitely a Chad. I mean, like she she um you know as 
Monsieur Bouc describes her. She is extremely rich, a cosmopolitan. She is a personality, ugly as sin, but she makes herself felt. Yeah. I, there's nothing more to say. There's no, nothing agree, more to say. I agree. She is a Chad. She, she has that attitude. She of like, speaks her mind, she's too. Like, she's like, I'm better than you. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like, she's just like, no matter what the men say to her, she's not intimidated. No. She refuses to. She actually outright says, um, oh, yeah, I'm happy he's dead. He should be dead. Yeah. Justice has been served, in my opinion. The other ones try to hide it. Yeah. They'll, they'll say like, oh, that's a terrible crime. Yeah. And, oh. and when it's... when it's uh, She's just like, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> when, when Hercule Perot and all the others like finally expose her for, oh, this was your handkerchief. She's just like, yeah, so? <laughs> and they're like, well, you didn't tell us before. And then she's just like, you didn't ask. Like, <laughs> yeah. She does not care. Yeah. No, she's a good character yeah. for sure. She's a good one. You know, she got you got the sense that she's lived a life. Yeah, exactly. Maybe if they do a prequel, it should Strong be about her. Yeah, her her life leading up to that. Yeah, maybe she to was flee like the communists and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she started as a super timid girl, and something happened maybe. to her. Maybe she Never had know. to she had to get her get out of Russia. Yeah, but I think she was already old by that point. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they say she's like super old. Yeah, yeah. She's just like she's just used to being in a position of authority, so she's just like doesn't care yeah, what anyone let, else let me thinks. Even, let me. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is the. This is the description of her of her uh, appearance, which I also was impressed by. So, at a small table, sitting very upright, was one of the ugliest old ladies he had ever seen. <laughs> it was an ugliness of distinction. It fascinated rather than repelled. She sat very upright. Round her neck was a collar of very large pearls, which, improbable though it seemed, were real. Her hands were covered with rings. Her sable coat was pushed back on her shoulders... A very small, expensive black toque was hidden unbecomingly, was hideously, oh, oh my God, was, <laughs> was hideously unbecoming to so the yellow, <laughs> to the yellow toad-like face beneath it. So, um, you it's know. Good. Yellow toad-like face. That's good. It's great. It's great. I, I actually love how they, they just kind of drive that home. Like she's Super really ugly, ugly but But an ugliness care. of distinction. That's good. An ugliness of distinction. That's a great. It's a good turn of phrase. Yeah. She's not a bad writer, I yeah. think. Agatha. No, she no, she's not. She has a lot of really good zingers. Yeah, like the one-liners. The dialogue is very the dialogue is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think in terms of like the style, she's not bad. She's not bad. Yeah, I think most people would say that's not her strong suit, but right. But you know, there is a doesn't have to be. There's a certain talent to being able to write in a really simple way without overcomplicating it and like yep. muddling it for the reader. And she's she's good at that. She makes a very clear case yeah all the time case <laughs> murder case <laughs> yeah that's because like yeah she, the focus is on the structure of it yeah i was gonna say what's interesting is that i've heard this is not my area of expertise in any way but i've heard that a lot of like french like number one she's really popular in france i don't know why but mm -hmm. she is um, I mean, she's definitely been translated into like every language ever. Yeah. She's, I think, considered the most widely translated single author of all time, going back to her immense success. But in France, a lot of like sort of postmodern or like structuralist intellectuals, and I'm already don't really know what I'm saying right now, but <laughs> are big fans of hers because they essentially say like she's like the epitome of the like modernist or like structuralist Oh. author because of the the way that essentially and i think there's fairness here like books are like perfectly constructed in terms of 
the literal structure of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And like people like, you know, I don't know, crazy postmodern theorists are like, ah, you know, Agatha Christie is one of the great modernist writers. She's mastered form more oh. than more than almost anyone else. Yeah, Which is interesting because her reputation in in the English speaking world is like you're saying is sort of like a sort of like a pulpy, pulpy sort of yeah a little you know, bit more than like yeah, yeah maybe a one degree above yeah. a pulp writer yeah. essentially so it's an interesting thing almost like she's like the Jerry Lewis of uh, <laughs> because that's the same thing is that I don't know like he's considered in France apparently film critics thought he was like one of the greatest directors of all time. Oh. Maybe that's going a bit far, but they thought he was like really something. Whereas, what, what did he direct? Jerry Lewis, like the Nutty Professor, like he was like a really old. He was like a, a comedy. Have you heard of him? No, he was, like, well, this, I've heard his name. He was like this goofy comedy guy from like the fifties and sixties. Oh, okay. Like, and like so considered simple. Yeah, so Americans were just like he's just a silly. Co- he was like the Will Ferrell of his day. <laughs> Whereas, it, but hey. in France, they hey. were like, yeah, I like it. I like Will Ferrell too. But I think it's fair to say. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, in France, apparently they were like, oh, like the cinematography is like so incredible. And like, so, so it's, it's almost like Agatha Christie's similar, like these French critics are like, they pick up on strange people Yeah, like they latch on to different (laughs) aspects. Um, so, okay. I, I have a bunch of quotes that are, I thought were noteworthy, but they don't really fit into a segment. So I'm just going to tell you them right now. going to ring off a bunch of quotes. The, the bigot, the bigoted, uh, the like more, you know, unpeaceful. Or clips to like take out of context. Quotes, if you yeah. say. <laughs> I, I just, I enjoyed these quite a lot. Oh, they're hilarious. Of just like the sheer audacity of them. And I, I really enjoyed them. So here are a few of my favorites. So this one was, it is a woman said the chef de train speaking for the first time depend on it it was a woman only a woman would stab like that (laughs) (laughs) which is partially true ends up being partially true was half women roughly who killed him yeah i guess so and then um there was one more women are like that when they are enraged (laughs) they have great strength he nodded so sagely that everyone suspected a personal experience of his own (laughs) you say that's accurate um, I would not personally, but I can see how this particular fellow could have encountered a situation Michelle like has, that. Michelle has some, some trouble. <laughs> he's got, some, <laughs> he's got some stories. And then, um, oh, yes. And then this, I don't even remember who said this, but um, I believe it was Monsieur Bouc. Yeah. Um, he was referring to the American detective oh, on the train. Yeah, yeah. And he said... There is a large American on the train, a common-looking man with terrible clothes. <laughs> he chews the gum, which I believe is not done in good circles. <laughs> <laughs> now that's good. Yeah, that, there's, there's that a made, lot of good That ones. made Mr. Book like one of my favorites. I was like, he's got the he's got the lines. He's maybe the runner-up, ch- yeah. the honorable mention, Chad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like the well-meaning, you know. Yeah, but he doesn't get kind it. Kind of dull, yeah. dim-witted, but lovable. Exactly. Chad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's good. See, yeah, she's got a lot of good jokes. Yeah. And then genuinely. the other thing that it, um, amused me was the the threat to Mr. Uh, Mr. Ratchet, you yeah. know, the uh, the yeah. notes that he was getting that were like threats. Yeah. Um, do you recall what these notes said? So <laughs> I don't I don't remember the exact you re- go ahead and read them off. Yeah. They mentioned I, the case, one. don't they? I, I yeah. was just remembering one which is the lamest threat I've ever heard. <laughs> like, if you are going to threaten someone and send them letters, like, terrifying them, 
you should probably just ramp it up a little bit more than these guys did. All right, let's hear. The quote is, we're out to get you, Ratchet, and we will get you. Nice. That's it. That's it. Well so done. those are terrifying words. And they probably asked like they probably asked the colonel to write it, and that's the best he could come up with. <laughs> like and get was capitalized and will were capitalized. So yeah. we're out to get you, Ratchet. Maybe and McQueen. we will get you. Maybe they asked McQueen to write it. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're a young guy. You understand how American gangsters talk. And McQueen's <laughs> just too much of a soft boy to actually actually <laughs> He doesn't seem like a nice guy. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't want to use any bad language. So I'll just capitalize a few words. That's my theory. (laughs) They got McQueen to write it. Yeah. Um, That's good. A lot lot of of good humor as well. Yeah. Yeah. So those are are the ones. And I I believe that's it. Other than there's one more Italian quote that... Oh, you got to... Yeah, you got to have... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We haven't already... (laughs) Yes. One of these Italian quotes was just incredible. Oh, yeah. He has been a long time in America, said Mr. Book, and he is an Italian, and Italians use the knife, and they are great liars. I do not like Italians. <laughs> Just really at page one forty-five. So that was that was like a oh. another standout for the me. Italians use the knife is one of the best, <laughs> and then straight up, I don't like Italians. Yeah. And then at the end of one of the chapters, I thought it was a very funny like added thing that um as like the omniscient third Mm-mm. allowed us to get this insight into his mind um, was just they were going to interview the colonel and the last line of this chapter is this time Mr. Book did not mention the Italian but he thought of him (laughs) (laughs) that's good yeah yeah she does mention it a lot it it, it is the longest running joke yeah in the book the the Italian uh, Michelle saying it's a woman and then like Princess Dragomirov being ugly yeah yeah those are the the three the big running gags (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I think it's basically it, right? We basically yeah. Oh, and then we have we, we we should say at the end we're gonna say if we think it's worth it. Like right, if we so would yeah. recommend this. Our book. last segment is was it worth it? Where we debate whether you know, we recommend this to the average book lover. Yeah. Do we recommend this book? Yeah. You know, I yeah. think I think uh this is kinda like the moonstone, which when you read it you're like, Oh, it's so cliche but then you realize it kind of was the thing that established the trope yeah, for and sure. you know, all the other things that came after were just ripping it off a little bit. So I think it's useful to read, especially if you like mysteries or you like, you know, detective stories. It's it's a good one, it's a good read, but also it's uh significant in the history. So I, I recommend. Yeah, no, uh, me too. I recommend it. I think it's very readable. It's accessible. Mm-hmm. It's not at all like a trouble. It's pretty short. It's, yeah, a lot yeah. of fun, I would say. And, yeah, it's funny, like we were saying. I think the... Well, Hopefully, if you haven't read it and we're looking for one, you, I guess, what skipped. <laughs> it's true. This is kind of a redundant <laughs> section because if you've made it this far... Maybe we'll put a timestamp i'll say skip <laughs> skip yeah well we did mention before just skip to the end if you want to hear our recommendation so if you did that yes i would i do like the ending that's all i'll say about it here <laughs> i do like the ending um the premise is great the characters are fun and likable poro especially but the the one-offs in this book are are pretty fun as well yeah um Oh, I forgot to mention the thing about how uh, it's okay. We'll just talk about it now. Okay, what is it? Uh, when it like, I was telling you right, 
the late the American lady who's always talking about her daughter. Oh yeah. She was really the mom of the uh, person who the died? wife who died in childbirth because she was so sad. So um, it kind of recontextualizes it. So on a second read, I just spoiled it again. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> but on a second read, yeah, if I, you haven't read it, <laughs> stop here again. Stop a minute ago. Okay. Now continue. Uh, it sort of recontextualizes like you know she's always talking about her daughter so it's like that's an interesting character tick yes i thought that and i think that it's it's speaks, sad it speaks to yeah because it's funny at first you're like oh she's so, yeah oh this woman and her daughter yeah. she loves her daughter we've, all, so we've much. all met people like that who won't shut up about their kids but then yeah and then the, knowing the full story it's like yeah it's sad you yeah. feel sorry for her she was this joke she was the actress the famous actress yeah well they, she did get her moment to shine at the end when they she were really describing did. how her voice is so amazing it was totally changed yeah, yeah it changed and it's like this, this was the voice that entertained like new york city crowds yeah. for years and yeah. you know she got her moment to shine she did and so it's like yeah the character work is actually really good like stuff like that little little subtle hints like that yeah uh, yeah. So besides, yeah, the mystery elements are all really well done. The character works good. It's readable. Agatha Christie's just solid, yeah. solid yeah. author. And this is like probably the best one except, and then there were none I think I like better, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is probably the second best one. <laughs> yeah. And no, no words wasted too. Like there's no excessive, uh, like surplus of words that you could just, there are no chapters you could skip. Everything, no, they really aren't. Everything yeah. builds on the previous chapter. <laughs> yeah, it's a structuralist thing. Yeah, again. it's like it's perfectly sort of executed and yeah. conceived. I would agree that she she's the master is. of form or structure. Arthur know? Arthur Conan Doyle can can suck it essentially <laughs> is what is what we're saying. Yes, that that is that's the takeaway from this <laughs> from the two hours almost that we've been uh, talking about this. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Um. So well. Okay. The last thing is wrap up. So. Um, are we going to decide what our next book is right now? Are we going to next book? <laughs> I know. Well, is it I've... middle March? Or are we pretty sure it's going to be middle March? I'm just scared that it'll be Take too long. Yeah. I'm scared that you're going to finish it by like the end of summer, at which case I'm going back to Vancouver. So like okay. we might want to do another one in between that's uh, that we can you know hung oh yeah that's right we are going to do the other one games. we were talking about doing. so if this is already too pop fiction for you hunger this is games. too highbrow for you <laughs> the hunger is... games but you know what just like this one if we do the hunger games it's mostly going to be me defending them artistically i think they're solid I, I i think they're solid too i think that i would like to really reread them now that i'm not 13 and Maybe I'll <laughs> yeah. still find something valuable in them. I think I will. I think we will. Okay, so yeah. Okay, okay Hunger, okay, Games, Hunger Games. We'll do that'll all be three really, of them. Cause that'll that's be really three fast. episodes. Okay, that's three episodes. Are you sure? One for each. Are you sure our viewers, our listeners, want to hear three episodes? Our, our, our non-existent <laughs> listeners? listeners. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Let's do at least the first Hunger Games. I think it'll get us. It'll be more popular with these hypothetical listeners okay. than Murder on the Orient Express. Well. Okay, it's topical. There's, there's well, gonna make, they're gonna make a prequel movie, aren't they? I think the only people who would this listen year. to this podcast are old people. What? Because who? what old people? No one wants to hear about books. Who's young? No one. They don't like us, old people. I know. That's They'll what I'm like, saying. These young... we, we pretty much, if we do the Hunger Games, we're we're playing neither sides of our of our audience. Like, it's it's not for old people, but then it's also it's for people. Young people age. don't listen, so. Yeah, well, it's okay, for whatever. Us. It's, for, it's us. for us. We won't have any listeners anyway, so yeah. this is redundant. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, okay, so Hunger, Hunger Games. Games is next, and you have. Okay, so when are we going to record it? 
Okay, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna sign off now. Sign that off. was that was episode one of insert name here. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm gonna just leave it a blank. Okay, this is episode one of, and we're just gonna keep the gap. <laughs> yep. And this has been Tristan and Ishmael Majid. You're gonna speak for me. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. Let's do it again, and no, we'll no, cut no, that. No, 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 no. This has no, been Tristan. You don't, you don't think I should sign off myself? Okay. No, you, you, you do it. You okay, clearly this, this have is... an idea of how you want to end it. Okay, we're cutting all this. This is this has been Tristan. Oh, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna let me talk. <laughs> oh my god, this is falling apart in the last five minutes. Yeah. It, okay. Bye. Uh, <laughs> okay. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.